Food Heals Podcast, Episode 195. It's really, really easy to be a critic. And it's super hard to be a creator and put something forth for the world to judge. And I think if you're going to forge your own path at some point, you have to become a creator. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stressed. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. Today, we're chatting with reinvention expert Steve Olsher, and we'll find out how he helps individuals and corporations become exceptionally clear on what their what is. That is the one thing that they were created to do. Steve has a practical, no-holds-barred approach to life and business that propels his clients towards achieving massive profitability while also cultivating a life of purpose, conviction, and contribution. And Steve founded the New Media Summit, which I know I've been talking a lot about these past few episodes. It's a conference for coaches, authors, speakers, holistic health practitioners, and entrepreneurs to receive detailed training on how to uplevel your business, become an influence, get interviewed on podcasts, start your own podcast, and network with the right people and dance. That's right. Steve loves to dance. That's true. That's what I hear. Yeah, that's what he's like. That's what he likes to talk about the wobble. And I was honored to be one of New Media Summit's icons of influence last year, which basically means I'm a podcaster and um, attendees of the conference were able to pitch to me. And so I booked a lot of people from New Media Summit on the podcast. So if you want that opportunity this year, it's coming up. It's in, it's in like less than two weeks, people. It's very, very soon. It's coming up April 12th. If you want a ticket, we have scored you a discount code. Go to www.foodhealsnation.com slash new media summit. Use the coupon code food heals. If you want to get yourself booked on some incredible podcasts, there are like 40 different podcasters that you get to pitch to besides the food heals podcast. So, so much opportunity if you're trying to build your wellness brand or any type of brand where you have a message to share. So again, use the coupon code food heals. You'll save $500 off. And, um, Allie, um, uh, Yessie, we have to talk about, um, Italy. Oh, yes, we do. You know, we're not going to stop talking about Italy until it's fully booked. So join us June 2nd to June 9th for our vegan Italian getaway. It's on the Amalfi Coast. We know you've been hearing about it, thinking about it. Well, now is your chance to grab one of the last spots before it's sold out. Allie, um, what are we going to do in Italy? <laughs> Drink. Just kidding. <laughs> Not really. We're going to drink. We're going to relax. We're going to explore. We're going to learn. There will be wine tastings, olive oil tastings, vegan Italian cooking classes, hiking, an infinity pool. Must I go on? An infinity pool. No, I no, you don't. You don't need to go on. We just need to tell people, go look at pictures of the Amalfi Coast if you've never been. I have been. Ali has not. I speak yes. Italian. I will be your personal tour guide and I'll teach you some Italian. It's freaking amazing. It's one of my favorite spots on the planet. If you've been listening to us for a while, you've heard us talking about it. What are you waiting for? Uh, I love that. What are you waiting for? Like, I'm so excited. I'm picturing myself there now. I'm it's buying clothes. To... I'm buying outfits already. Oh my gosh. What are we wearing? I don't know. We've got a plan. <laughs> Shoot. Now I just got nervous. I'm like, I need some cute Italy outfits. Okay. 
(laughs) But really, this retreat is a vacation. Not only are we going to explore the Amalfi Coast, wear cute outfits, also relax, but we're also going to learn how to make life-changing wellness choices, how to cook healthy, organic, delicious, plant-based cuisine, how to change your mindset to attract more abundance in your life. It's literally the Food Heals podcast like on vacation, right? (laughs) The Food Heal podcast on the Amalfi Coast. Oh, what that's could be what better? Call it. I don't know. Not much. All I want to do is drink wine by the affinity pool with Food Heals Nation. I no, you're going to want to go into the sea because the ocean there is amazing. It's crystal oh my blue. It's azure. It's got its own name of blue. They don't call it Ooh. blue. They call it azure. Oh, have you seen that's... azure? Have you guys have, have you guys seen azure? It's amazing. Google it. You'll just see what I'm talking about. I've never seen <laughs> it in person. Only pictures. So I can only imagine. <laughs> so where do they go to find more information? So go to www.foodhealsnation.com slash Italy, get on the list, or you can always email me at info at foodhealsnation.com. You can book right now. You can ask your questions, anything you need. We're here for you. We hope to see you in Italia. Ciao. Come play with us. Next up, our interview with Steve. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. A 25-plus year entrepreneur, Steve is the New York Times best-selling author of What Is Your What? Discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. He's also author of the Business Technology Book of the Year, Internet Profits, the World's Leading Experts Reveal How to Profit Online. He's a busy man. He's a busy man. He is also the host of the number one rated radio show and podcast, Reinvention Radio. He's an international keynote speaker and an in-demand media guest who has appeared on CNN, The Huffington Post, Entrepreneur on Fire, and countless other media outlets. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. You sound like you're kind of a big deal. In my house, I am absolutely not, I promise you. There is no (laughs) doubt at all about that. Not even in my own house. Who's in charge in your house? That would be the white dog. We've got two dogs. We've got an albino dog, the white dog, and we got a brown dog. The white dog runs the place. Really? Oh, yeah. No doubt. And then who's next? The brown dog? Uh, No, that would be the wife. The wife. Oh, yeah. Then yeah. the brown dog, then you? No, then my 11-year-old. Oh. <laughs> and then my 14-year-old, then the brown dog, then me. Uh. So eventually I get my due. That's good. Thank you. That's good. So Steve, tell us a little bit in your words who you are and what you do. What do I do? See, now that's a question, right? That is the question that I never can answer. The pat answer is an entrepreneur who has done damn near everything, including going way back and selling speakers out of the back of a van. Like I was that guy. So catalogs, nightclubs, dot coms, real estate development, putting a book on the New York Times list, as you said. So writing and then coaching, speaking, and now doing some fun events and reinvention radio. So a lot of fun things over the years. But what really puts fire in my soul is uh, doing the wobble. Have you done the wobble yet? What is the wobble? You did the wobble. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You danced with us a little. <laughs> I'm not a big dancer, Steve. That is going to change at this next one. You Do you dance, Susie? I do. All right, so you're going to have to look up the wobble. Roxy, do you dance? Are you, are you a dance? Eh, she does right. when she's drunk. Okay, good. So we're going to have to bring her there. So you got to look up the wobble. And that's a prerequisite for our conference. Yes. Yeah. You'll have to look, look it up. Should I look this up right now? Yeah. Look, look it up, up right, right now. now. Yeah. It's a fun little song. And second to that, if, you, if it's not the wobble, then uh, the Cupid Shuffle would be a close second to that. So that's mostly what I do. Cool. Can we have alcohol before the wobble next time? I think we mentioned, or maybe we didn't mention, but I've actually owned liquor.com since 1998. So we absolutely can. I know some people. You know some peeps. Are you, you're looking up the wobble right now. I am. <laughs> Just look up the wobble dance and you'll see. Um, oh, this you'll is see. long. This is it, something else. Wobble. W-O-B-B-L-E. The wobble dance. They do it at weddings. They do it at bar mitzvahs. They do it like and why do you Everywhere. love the wobble so much? Oh my God, it's just something you just, like, you cannot die 
without doing the wobble at least once. So you'll, you'll, you'll just have to see. I mean, when you watch them do it and you see, every, you can't do the wobble without smiling. I'll put it to you that way. And, uh, and, and we'll do that at least three or four times over the course of uh, our, our time. how to. How to, see? Do the wobble dance. There you go. And if they play the song, then you'll hear it exactly. It's wobble, baby, wobble, baby, wobble. I mean, come on. It's it's very infectious. Pretty catchy. Yeah. What was your dance before this? Was it the chicken dance? Was it the electric we, slide? We, what was your dance before the wobble? We also do the chicken dance at our event. I just Basically, my events, I try to turn them into it's like a big wedding. That's what it is with a little bit of teaching in between. So it's the big wedding I never had. No, I'm playing. We had a great wedding. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, actually, you guys are all like, what are you talking about? So at our event, we're going to have a huge 400 square foot dance floor. And uh, it'll be lit. So we're going to have like one of those Saturday Night Fever-like floors wow. with the different colors oh and the whole nine. Oh, my God. Okay, wait, wait. We have to go back and tell everyone what we're talking about here. Um, what's your event, New Media Summit? Why are you doing it? All that good stuff. Ah, that, yes. Uh, so I, as you said, I do my own show. So Reinvention Radio, we've been doing that now. I started that in 2009, actually, and took a little time off and been doing it full-time for the better part of almost three years now and like you guys i'm sure we found that we're just being inundated with requests for people to get onto our show and what i quickly realized was there's some amazing people out there that we just will never be able to get to or have a chance to meet or you know feature on the show and you know i'm all for the big name folks and i totally get that but it's like we've heard their stories. It's like, how many times do we have to hear their stories? Like Tim Ferriss, okay, hack it. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, Gary, okay, let's hustle. I mean, it's like, all right, like, like we get it. You know what I mean? Like, but we don't know your story, right? And so part of what we figured out pretty early on here was there's two different paths you can go down. I mean, you can go down that path of trying to just fight for the big names. And they, of course, don't do anything to let others know that they've been on your show. Or you can find folks who have these amazing stories that people don't know about, and they're incredibly enthusiastic about sharing their appearances. And they literally change lives in ways that just far too many people don't know about. And that's the path that we chose to take. I mean, we've had some of the big-name people on, but we actually just absolutely love the stories of folks that the public doesn't know. And that's why we created this event that you were kind enough to come to, right? I mean, you had a rocking good time, I hope. Oh, I had a blast. Forced to dance? A a little, a little bit. We tried. We tried. And so what we did is we created this forum for people to learn not only how to leverage and monetize the power of new media, but also to be able to meet 40 of the world's leading podcasters and spend ample time with them, really get to know them and have a place for them to pitch them on who they are and what they do and literally get booked on the spot. And so we've done that now once. We're going to do it again in the spring. We're going to do it again in the fall. So it'll be a twice annual event at this point, it looks like. And we'll keep going until people say they don't want it. And it's very unique because it is for podcasters to pitch to other podcasters or it's for people who have a book or something coming up that they want to get out into the world. And so either way, they have this opportunity to get themselves booked on other people's shows. So it's a great opportunity for podcasters to find new stories that they haven't heard before that they probably never would have known about. And it's also a great opportunity for the people pitching to get their story out there. And how many podcasters do they get to pitch to? How many icons do you have now? There's 40 at each event. And, you know, look, obviously, I don't want to make this all about the event. And I'm sure there's other 
things we can talk about and we will talk about talking about the wobble don't you the wobble wobble wobble. yes i've got the wobble look in my eyes but what we quickly realized is that while the icons are amazing and there really isn't a forum for podcasters to connect in the way that we encourage them to connect because a lot of the industry-oriented events are very clickish and you know if you don't know people you're kind of left out and i'm a very inclusive kind of guy so i wanted to create this forum where the podcasters could really get to know each other in a more intimate way, if you will. Uh, but what we really found out is that the 150 people, because we limit it to 150 people, the 150 people in the audience have amazing platforms in their own rights. I mean, like a lot of them have their own blogs. A lot of them have their own podcasts. A lot of them have their own video channels and so on. So picture this, 150 attendees, 40 icons. The 150 attendees got to pitch each of the icons. There were 6,000 pitches that took place in one day, right? So it was just, it was hellish really for everyone Did involved. Did you have a, a, a bell and you went a bell, Basically, yeah. yeah. That's what we tried to do. But what we're going to do this time, because we realize that so many of the people that are there have their own incredible stories and platforms and so on, is we're going to do a completely different where basically all of the people will pitch all of the people at one time in other words they will get the mic they will get center stage and so one person will pitch all 40 icons and all 150 attendees at the same time so my guess is people will leave there whereas i think the top person last time ended up with 33 bookings so one woman got booked on 33 shows last time i actually think most people will end up with a lot more than that because now you're looking at a pool of 190 people 189 if you take them out of the equation it won't be as stressful and it's going to be a lot more fun so we'll still give them opportunity to give feedback and so on so the icons will still be able to talk to them about hey this might be a fit it might not be a fit that sort of thing but everybody's gonna have a chance to pitch everybody really so it's gonna be completely different yeah i think this is a really great way to do it and you know when when people were pitching me sometimes i would be like this story is so incredible they should be on stage or even in some cases their platform was bigger than ours so they should be the ones being pitched to you know they were really quality quality individuals and a lot of them are going to be on our show or we've had them on our show so it's a really great opportunity i'm really glad you're doing it this yeah way this it's gonna year. be a lot of fun and we will wobble <laughs> that is a promise. That is a promise. So what's this in front of us? Tell us about your book. So you're all about the what. I am all about the what. Let's talk we, about your book. We love the what. So the book is called What Is Your What? Discover the One Amazing Thing You Were Born what? to Do. Exactly. I was in a movie called The Keeper of the Keys, uh, which was fun. And there was this little segment right before I came on where they had this conversation around the what. And it was that sort of say what? What did what? what? It was like this whole kind of who Not the what the how, but right. the what. Yeah. And we actually had Simon Sinek on Reinvention Radio, and that was a fun little debate on the why versus the what. But What's the this, difference? well, we can talk about that. The difference, if you want to go there, okay. Uh, the difference is to me, it's my podcast. It you is. Answer my I answer your question. <laughs> you can make people dance, but I will make you or talk. Or you will pull me by the hair. I will hair, pull right? you by the hair. All right, sweet. Uh, ooh, and we're going to do the chicken dance later. <laughs> to me, the why is external, right? It's something that you can choose. So your why might be you want to put food on the table for your family, you want to provide clean drinking water for children and India, you want to help the homeless get back on their feet, right? It's something that you choose to do. So it's all about choice. Whereas I believe that your what, if you look at the cover there, you'll see the only graphic element is the DNA strand. Mm -hmm. To me, your what is really what is internal and it's a part of who you are. And as I say, your what really, in my way of thinking, has chosen you 
and it's not that which you have chosen. Is it what you were born to do? I believe so, but I think the better subtitle on that, honestly, now that uh, I've been doing this for as long as I've been doing it, is discover the one amazing thing you were born to do for now. I was just going to say, you've right? done a ton of stuff. Right? <laughs> so what is your what? Because you've had like a bazillion of them. You know, and it's interesting, right? So to take a step back and give you an understanding of what this means, in Authorland, they say you write the book that you most need, right? So for me, because I've done a million things, right, it's always been that struggle. What is it that I'm really here to do? And that's a question I've struggled with. I mean, literally from, I mean, as soon as I kind of reached adulthood and realized that there was yikes something I got to do with this life right and that was after most of the LSD wore off but then I woke up and I realized like I got to actually do something here and is there a so drink minimum at this podcast <laughs> there is at this podcast <laughs> uh he has listened to us <laughs> but having done like the Myers-Briggs and which is a personality questionnaire right and what color is your parachute and Wait, did you have trouble finders. figuring out what your what was? Well, what I exactly, because that was the question that I had. Ever since I got out of the music industry, I've struggled to really get my hooks into something that put fire in my soul. So maybe that just means I need to go back to the music industry, which is why I do these events and uh, just turn it into a big dance party. But those modalities are, are all well and good, but they left me with more questions than answers. And it just didn't really give me an opportunity going through those exercises, like, okay, I'm an ENTF or whatever I am. And all I can think about is like WTF. It's like, I mean, who cares, right? Or what color is your parish? Like you walk into a room and there's four conversations going on, like one about business and one about politics and one about podcasting and one about money. And like, yeah, I'm just thinking like, get me out of this room, you know, like where's the door, right? So that's ultimately why I ended up going down this path of creating this what is your what framework. Because as I started teaching people, business-related strategies and tactics and tools and shortcuts, it really occurred to me that a lot of them were having the same problem, if you will, having trouble figuring out what it is that they really should be doing. And so as I started working with them, this what is your what framework really developed organically. And how it all really boils down at this point is that if you can figure out what your core gift is, and that's something like communicating or healing or entertaining or enrolling or protecting or something of that nature, you have a core gift, then the question becomes, what is the primary vehicle that you will use to share that gift? And ultimately then, who are the people that you're most compelled to serve? And it's just that simple. It's the gift, the vehicle, and the people. And what I've found is it's kind of like a tripod you can have clarity around what your gift is and what your primary vehicle is that you will use to share that gift. But if you don't understand the people that you're most compelled to serve, that doesn't work. Or you can know the people and you can know the vehicle, but if you don't know your gift, then that doesn't work either. So ultimately, if you can figure out your gift, your vehicle, and your people, you can actually hit the ground running and get started with something that you can bring to the world. And is what inspired this for you? What happened with your stepfather? So my stepfather came into my life at 10. And I'll be honest, you know, my dad wasn't, he wasn't around a lot. And he left when I was seven. You know, my son actually the other day was asking me because we were playing catch with a football and I didn't have a great role model. And we were just throwing the ball around and whatnot. I try to play with my kids. I coach my older kids baseball team and so on. Uh, and he was he was asking me about you know, where I learned to throw the ball. And the honest answer was I didn't know because I knew it wasn't from my parents. Like they didn't play with me. My dad didn't play in that way with me. My 
stepdad, even when he came into my life at 10, didn't play with me in that way. And this is not a boohoo, you know, poor me kind of thing. But I honestly didn't have the answer to that question. And it just got me thinking as you asked this question about the relationship with my stepfather. And yeah, I mean, he raised me as best as he could as a stepson and getting me when I was 10. And obviously, most 10 year olds are kind of bitter at that point when their dad leaves and then some new guy comes in and starts spending time with mom. And, you know, he got, he got the brunt of that for sure. But he and I ended up becoming fairly close. And when he was in his final days of life, and I want to say that was like 2008 or something of that nature, I should know that by now, but I don't know. But when he was in his final days, during one of those moments of my sitting bedside with him, I was holding his hand and he was, I mean, he was in hospice right at that point. So it was definitely in the last hours and I was holding his hand and I had a vision actually not of his funeral, but of mine. And I could hear the words being spoken graveside as I was basically being lowered into the earth and coffin and I was awake and peaks of light coming through and I could hear what was being said and basically the words that were spoken graveside were here lies Steve Olsher he dedicated his life to chasing the almighty dollar and that's all that was said and that hit me really hard because my stepdad couldn't really communicate in any way at that moment but I think that he was communicating through that point of touch and just really saying you know, this is potentially your inevitable fate unless you figure out something that's going to have more impact, not only on those who share this lifetime with you, but also those of lifetimes to come. And I mean, at that point, really, my impact was on me and those closest to me, but really not too many other folks. And that's what led to my doing this work around teaching and coaching and speaking and authoring and, and so on. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that is incredible because most people, even if they can even hear that, or even if there's a, a gut feeling that something's off and there's something missing in their life and they want to achieve more, they want to do more for others yeah. as opposed to just themselves or their immediate family, they either can't hear it or don't know what to do about it. So how did you go about making that transition? It, it really began with knowing that if I reached my deathbed without getting some of my thoughts down on paper, then those would die with me. So what I started to do was really to think about the brain damage that I've incurred over the years and the trials and the tribulations and things that I've had to fight my way through as an entrepreneur and as a father and so on and just being alive, right? I mean, at that point, I think I was right around 40 years old and just it's hard, this life, right? I mean, it's, you know, this is a tough go. I mean, obviously... Some people have a much tougher go, and I'm not making light of that, but this is not an easy existence that most of us have. And anything that I could do to help people get from point A to point B faster, I felt I would be doing my duty as a member of the society to share some of those strategies and shortcuts that I thought could help other people. So that's what I started with was an outline of some of the ideas that I had around what I've endured and what I've overcome, that if I put those down on paper, those might help other folks, right? So that's where it began. And then through conversations and talking to people about this idea and 
of course, when you start writing a, a self-help book or personal development book, right? I mean, most of the people who really know you are going to say, yeah, man, you can barely help yourself. Like, why are you trying to help other people? So you got to move past those initial conversations. Whenever you try to do something different, people want to kind of pull you back into what they know you to be. So once you get past that and you start having conversations about what you're up to and what is it that you think I do well? What is it that you think, uh, you know, I, I lack in? What impresses you? What depresses you, right? Like all of these questions that people who love you will provide real answers to. It started opening up some ideas around what else needed to be in the book. And it was around that time that I started writing, that I started doing something called the Reinvention Workshop, which is a seminar, right? So it's a live, in-person conference. And the idea was, let me help people to discover, share, and monetize what it is that they're truly compelled to do. And honestly, the What Is Your What framework was born out of those conversations. And it it was during those teachings that I realized that if you can get to those three answers, the gift, the vehicle, and the people, you've got everything you need. How many times, if you had to quantify it, have you reinvented yourself? A lot, right? So I continue to reinvent myself. For just talking straight career, it's got to be at least a few dozen. I mean, in relationships, married and divorced by the time I was 26, remarried at 27. We've been married now for over 20 years. So I mean, there's a reinvention there. She had a son when she was very young. So going directly into fatherhood was a reinvention, right? And then having my own kids. And so there's the personal reinvention. And then there's, of course, the business reinvention as well. And and what I've become very, very clear on is that we literally have the power to reinvent or change our lives, if you will, in this moment and in literally every moment that follows. That's so beautifully stated. And it's true. You know, the more we believe that, the more things can change. So we don't have to stay stuck in our old habits and patterns that are creating the current reality that we're experiencing. So you think there's one thing that keeps us from living the life of happiness and fulfillment. And can you tell us what that is? I really do believe that it requires you to understand what your what is and to have something that makes you want to jump out of bed every day. I mean, whether it's disease or depression or any of those unfortunate things that so many of us contend with. I mean, me included, I'm absolutely bottomed out in November of 2013. I mean, I was ready just to turn off the switch and call it a day. So, I mean, I've been there. I totally get it. But I will say that if you don't have something that absolutely puts fire in your soul and gives you a reason to get out of bed, you won't. What was your what in 2013 that got you out of bed? What led to the bottoming out, if you will, was was a number it was like a perfect storm it was a matter of not loving what i was doing from a career perspective the wife and i not having the best of times living in chicago and i had literally bottomed out in the dominican republic after i had gone down there to speak at awesomeness fest So I had an opportunity to speak at their Dominican Republic event in 2013. That sounds like the best event ever. Oh, you know what? I you would think so. And if you (laughs) and if you are 20 something and single, I would think that Awesomeness Fest is probably the ideal place for you to be, or 30 something, or 40 something, or whatever something and single. It is the awesomest place for you to be. But I will certainly say that I was probably one of the few people not having. An awesome time at at Awesomeness Fest. No knock on 
the event, but it was just, again, kind of this perfect storm of I had given this presentation and I didn't feel like it went as well as I would have liked for it to go. And that was all in my mind. I mean, people to this day who saw me there and speak, I mean, they tell me it really impacted them, or they, but you live in your own world, right? And we all have our own perceptions and our own perspective on what takes place. And in my mind, it had not gone well. It was beautiful there. I mean, it was like 90 degrees and sunny and November in Chicago, it starts to get into some of the crappy weather, and, and I am not a crappy weather person. But I knew that I was basically heading into that that six-month stretch of cold and gray, and I have seasonal affective disorder. So I get that really, really bad. So the cold and the gray literally throws me into a funk. And so after I came back, I just was in this deep, deep, deep spiral. I mean, the wife pulled me out of it. You know, She wasn't just going to let me run away. She wasn't just going to let me give up. And she really pulled me out of that. And after running, was it it over time? Was it more of a like, wake up, dude, what are you doing? How how did she do it? She's half Peruvian and half Polish. Uh And so there are times where the Latin blood comes out more than others. Uh And this was one of those Latin blood kinds of times, which means like, you're not leaving the house. Like I was ready to go. Like, you know, you're not leaving. You're staying. We're going to make this work. We're going to do what we need to do. So whatever we got to do, we're going to do, basically. And that required a whole bunch of psychiatry treatments and tests and whatnot. And I mean, it actually became very clear that my, I forget what they call those things like oxytocin and serotonin. And what what are all those things? They're transmitters. That's exactly it. Yes. Um, so all of mine, like we're literally in the single digits. Yeah. Whereas normal is like 40, 50, 60, you know, somewhere in there. So medically, there was an issue. All of those numbers were like literally in the tank. And one of the things that had to happen, as I told my, my wife long before that happened, the, the breakdown, I, just, I said, we've got to move. I, I've got to be in a, in a different climate and her family and friends and everything. And I, even me, I mean, I was in Chicago for 44 years, but it was the family breaks up and I move or we move to a warmer, sunnier climate. And that's how we ended up in San Diego. But yeah, it's incredible how even like this, like I wouldn't be here sitting with you. I mean, I wouldn't fly from Chicago for an interview in the past. I mean, I might have done it now, given that we know each other and you came to the event. So if we had done that, that might've been the case. But just even being here, it's amazing how doors open up in different ways once you're willing to go down a different hallway. There's a lot going on here in SoCal as far as this world is concerned. And this never would have happened if I didn't experience that. But that was one of those things where I literally had to figure out what is going to put fire in my soul on a consistent basis. And I had to do a complete reset. I had to do a reinvention. Literally in that next six months, I mean, I scrapped everything that I was doing from a business perspective and stopped doing the real estate development and stopped doing all of that work that just wasn't putting, it wasn't fueling me in a real way. That's incredible. And it just sounds like you gave yourself permission to let go of that stuff that you had built up because it wasn't working for you anymore. And if all you needed was some sunshine to get through this, well, let's go get some sunshine. And I mean, I think that's, that's often what it is, is we try to figure out what this big picture is and, and we try to get to that big picture when oftentimes all we need to do is take a single step on the path, whatever that possible step is in that moment. If one of your goals is 
I don't know, maybe to have your own event that has 500 people there. Well, you start with an event that has five and that's what you got to do. So true. And so what are some of the steps for everyone listening to find their what? It really does begin with turning on the light switch. As simple as that sounds, most people are awake, uh, but very few people are alive, right? You know, we're, we're just kind of going through the motions and you got to turn on that switch. You got to make that commitment to figuring out exactly what it is that you could see yourself doing on a consistent basis. And just that action alone is a really powerful first step because then you're committed to it and you won't stop until you get to the answers that you're looking for. And so just simply being committed in that way, turning on the switch and saying, I'm not going to stop this search until I figure out what that is for me, you're going to find yourself making different decisions, surrounding yourself with different people, watching perhaps different shows, reading different books, those sort of things, until you figure out exactly what it is. And the next step then is really to carve out the time, right? So you got to be able to carve out the time to figure out what that is. And that's a commitment to giving something up. I mean, perhaps you've heard this expression before, but the expression that I use when I have multiple things competing for a finite amount of time and attention, I tell myself something's got to give, right? And that's what I tell myself is something's got to give. So what am I going to give up? And that's simply a matter of understanding what the priorities are. And if you don't have clarity around what is most important to you in that moment, then it's really hard to make a good decision about what to give up. So once you understand what's most important to you, I believe you can then make better decisions about what's got to give and what you have to give up. So you got to carve out that time, right? So you got to carve out the time to figure out what it is. And then a third step for me would be to absolutely immerse yourself in whatever that is with the amount of time that you can allot to doing so, so that you can figure out if this is in fact something that you really want to do, right? And that can be in the off hours. You have your day job. I'm not suggesting that you quit your day job. So keep the day job. But on the way there or on the way home or whatever it might be, those morning hours, those evening hours, the weekends, right? Start immersing yourself in that world. And you'll find out pretty quickly if your hunch about wanting to do that and feeling like it might be right for you actually is right for you. But you'll never know until you really immerse yourself in that world. So oftentimes if we have multiple things that we think might truly put fire in our souls and we go down concurrent paths. And I've done that many times in my life and things are still emerging and then some things go on the back burner. And I mean, I'm always figuring it out as I go along. But one thing I really like that Chris Gillibo says is don't quit your day job, start your side hustle. So we're not saying that every time that you reinvent yourself, it has to be this massive shift. Like, you know, you moved across the country. It doesn't. Sometimes you do have to do that. Sometimes you don't. So sometimes you have to do exactly what you said and say, what can I bring more of into my life and what can I let go of? What can I create space for? And that little bit can shift everything. Yeah. And there's three sections of the book. One is foundation driven. And so it's literally establishing the foundation that will support the person that you're going to become. The second part is all about, ironically, turned out to be called the slap, which is the seven life-altering principles. And I didn't realize it was the slap until much later. I was like, oh, that's the slap. And then the third is really figuring out. It sounds like a dance. It is, it's going to be the next dance. There's yes, a lot of the music and dance themes in your work. Right. <laughs> and then the third is figuring out what your what is and then learning how to monetize that. But 
in the seven life-altering principles, one of those principles is the principle of what we call yeno, which is just really a fancy way of saying yes, no. And so it's that fork in the road and recognizing when you're faced with these yeno moments and making decisions that consistently lead towards whatever that desired destination is. But it's really being consciously aware of those yeno moments as they arise, right? So you're inviting me to be on the show is a perfect example of a yeno moment. Now that's a little more obvious because it required me to drive from San Diego to be here, right? So there's a commitment to that. So it's a little more obvious. Somebody asking you to get married, right? I mean, that's a very clear yeno moment. Yes leads to a lifetime of, of happiness and bliss and no potentially leads to a lifetime of happiness and bliss. And so, uh, but you know, but that's a little more obvious, right? So there's more subtle things though, like when a friend calls, that's a yay no moment, right? It's a yay no moment in terms of, do I pick up the phone? And I know if I pick up the phone, I'm going to have an hour of my life just absolutely obliterated because she or he is going to be talking about God knows what. And (laughs) there's no stopping that freight train once it starts going downhill. But those are more subtle. And those are the types of things that we have to become more consciously aware of in terms of what we say yes to. And ultimately, my firm belief is that you want to do things and make decisions that allow the you of tomorrow to look back and really be able to give thanks to the you of today for what you did. What would you say if people often experience indecisiveness? Uh, Indecisiveness indecisiveness is not a bad thing in my way because it ultimately means that you're not feeling fired up about one choice or the other. And so indecisiveness to me, another way of thinking about that in my mind is postponement. And so you can be indecisive about something so you don't make a decision, which ultimately to me means you're postponing that decision. So you may just need more data. And having more data allows you then to make that decision. I don't think indecisiveness is is a reflection of, you know, a lack of anything per se. I think it's actually very smart to be indecisive. It's giving you the room to get what you need to make a better decision. Another one of the life-altering principles is what I lovingly call the principle of reclaiming the canyon. And oftentimes, when we have a decision to make, we step over sort of a crack in the sidewalk, right? Like, we don't think about it, we just step over that crack in the sidewalk without really giving any credence to what it is that we're stepping into on the other side of that crack. So we just, "Mm, you wanna do that? Okay, like, no time, no space. And so the reclaim the canyon principle is really just stimulus response, right? It's just creating space between something that is being asked of you or thrown your way and your response to it. So it's the difference between a crack in the sidewalk and just kind of stepping over that and then putting like the Grand Canyon right in between you and that stimulus and then your response to it. So oftentimes people who look at you as being indecisive are really looking at their own agenda and are really looking at what it is that they want from you and they want you to adhere to their whims and what it is that they want for themselves. And so when you get flack around that, that conflict, if you will, is usually a reflection of you're not giving someone what it is that they want and you are just simply reclaiming ownership of that decision. 
And in your book, you share stories of people who have found their what, who have reinvented themselves. So can you share with us some of those success stories? There are four paths that most people are on. One is the path of what I would call the birther, right? These are people who've known since the womb kind of who they are and what they do. These are the people we usually hate, right? You know, because they're just so clear on it. We're like, eh, that guy. There's the shifter who you need to make a more subtle shift to the what is your what equation. There's the reinventor who literally does like 180 degree and just changes everything. And then there's the wanderer who just kind of goes through life without ever really thinking about this whole what is your what equation. So I'll give you an example of a couple people. One is someone who I would put into the reinventor category. And this is a a gentleman, his name is Joe Amoya. And Joe is just a perfect example of a reinventor because he started out as a chiropractor Mm -hmm. and went to school and got his degree and opened up a practice and had a a pretty good sized book of paying clients. And I mean, he invested a lot of money in this, right? A lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources. And one day he, he woke up and I mean, he literally woke up like, I can't do this anymore, woke up and decided that he needs to do something that really puts fire in his soul And it's taken him a little while to get there, but now he's completely out of that world of chiropractic and he helps single women find love. And you talk about a complete reinvention. I mean, you would have asked him a few years prior, like, hey, Joe, by the way, a few years from now, you're not going to have that practice and you're going to be helping single women find love. He would have laughed you out of the room. But that is what happens when you get clear on really what it is that you're compelled to do. So that's an extreme example. I mean, that's somebody who literally is doing nothing at all that reflects what he was doing several years prior. Do you think we always know, but we aren't able to either hear or listen to our gut? I believe that there are not so subtle signs that come into our lives. And what ends up happening is... You know, frankly, and we had this conversation, right, about like, why am I a good fit for this show? As food, you know, it's like, what does this have to do with anything? And I believe that things like disease and eating disorders and unhappiness and, and so on are oftentimes a reflection of not being clear on what your what is and having something that puts that fire in there. So you compensate or overcompensate or you know, don't nourish yourself in the way that you need to. And so the answer is, yeah, I mean, I do think that we have those signs. And often when we ignore those signs, I do believe it manifests itself in other ways. And so you have to figure out what opens you up to receiving those signs. Like for me, I smoke a lot of weed, you know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, and, and I'm not a, shame to say it because <laughs> I find that I do some of my best thinking when I'm high. The wife and I do the best giggling when we're high. Yeah. Uh, and we have the best sex when we're high, by the way. It's uh, like, we, yeah. we call it vampire sex. But, you Ooh, know, Wait a minute. Vampire. Like, I Fighting feed off of... No, oh, okay. like, I feed <laughs> off of her. She feeds off of me. Talk about food heal. There you go, right there. We sex feed heals. each other. I like how you brought that back. Thank you. But I do think that there is something that opens up that creative outlet for you. I mean, I was just talking to a a friend today who is in these deprivation tanks or float tanks or whatever. Like, I I think I'd be scared out of my mind in there. Like, I'm scared of myself as it is when I have other things to distract me. I can't even imagine I'm willing to give it a try. 
But that's where he says he does his best thinking, right? Yeah. So some of the problems that come into his life, he solves them when he comes out and those sort of things. So there may be ways for you to get those signs and you just have to figure out when you're most open to those ideas. But yeah, I do think that it's like if you want to buy a black car, I guarantee you, you get it in your mind that you want to buy a black car for the next however long until you buy a black car, you are going to see so many black cars yes. on that street. It's not even funny, right? So I think that you have to figure out what that is. And there are signs that will come to you. And I, I can't say for everyone how they will be able to open themselves up to receiving those signs. But I think that they are there. And maybe for Joe, that sign was he had a great relationship with his wife. It still does. And maybe a lot of people were coming to him asking for relationship advice. Mm -hmm. And he realized in those conversations, like, God, I actually really like talking about this. You know, I really like helping people. And so maybe that was one of the signs that came to, to him. I'm just thinking of, because I know plenty of people, like I myself, I went to college, but I always wanted to be an artist. I always wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to be performing. That was in my heart. Mm. But in my head, no, my parents expect me to go to college. They have saved the money for it. They're letting me go to any school I want. I have to go get a degree, even though in my heart, I don't need that to go pursue my dream, but I'll go do that. And then I took the leap after I graduated, but I knew plenty of people that immediately went, became lawyers, doctors, chiropractors, sure. attorneys, you know, just like yeah. went for the, I have to get a job now and, and check off all those boxes. Okay, I'm successful at my career. I have money. I have the house. I have the kids. I have the wife. I, you know what yep. have you and still find themselves oh wait a minute why am I miserable happy. now what mm -hmm. yep and that's when you have those crises that people go through the quarter life crisis the midlife crisis yeah whatever you want to call it because yep. people go I've done it all right why am I unhappy why am I still not happy yeah and sometimes the answer is more in the in what I would call the shifter category where you don't have to completely reinvent your life you just have to make a subtle shift to the what is your what framework so, for example, there was a woman who came to the reinvention workshop and she knew coming in pretty clearly that her gift was healing, mm -hmm. right? That was her core gift. Her core gift was healing. And the primary vehicle that she was using to share that gift was nursing. And she had been a nurse for 30 something odd years and she really enjoyed nursing, but still felt like something was missing. She didn't know exactly what it was. And as we went through the what is your what equation, healing for sure was her gift and nursing was still the primary vehicle that she wanted to use to express that gift, but the people were off. And yeah. so she had been working in a general hospital. And as we went through the process of figuring out exactly who the people are that she's most compelled to serve, I remember it really clearly. She wrote the words on the board and I remember when she wrote the words on the board, it was almost like the key to the treasure chest was turned, right? And the treasure chest opens, and it's like everything glows, and the angels sing, like, oh, you know, that kind of thing. Because when she wrote the words disadvantaged elderly on the board, you just could see everything click. And so fast forward a few years, and she ended up as a lead nurse or head nurse or charge nurse, or I'm not exactly sure what the terminology is, but at a VA hospital. And so working specifically with the vets who just didn't have it too good. And, you know, most of them were from World War II or Korean War and those sort of things that she was seeing. So she ended up working uh, and still works with the disadvantaged elderly using her gift of healing and the primary vehicle of nursing. 
And that's really made all of the difference for her, for sure. And how did she get her downloads or her? So how did she come up with Disadvantaged Elderly? Yeah. There is a specific exercise that we go through to help people identify exactly what that subset of the population is for them. And I'm sure we, we, we preach the same message and certainly here on the, the podcasting world and so on about, you know, really understanding who you most want to serve and who those people are. And you could do a general podcast that is more sort of newsy and businessy or technology or politicy and you know, that sort of thing. But obviously you guys have chosen to come down this particular path because these are the folks who you're most compelled to serve. And so it's the difference between just having a general podcast that kind of reaches whoever and focusing and honing in really on, on this particular subject because these are the people you are most compelled to serve. For sure. So if we don't get our what from the weed or from the deprivation tank, or for me, it's like <laughs> wine and meditation, there is right? a process for it. Yeah. And I'd like to sit here and say, you just do A, B, and C, and then you got it. But for example, just figuring out your gift, there is a very specific exercise called the seven seeds of your soul, which help to unearth exactly what your gift is. And, and that's a process. I mean, if it was easy, everybody would just simply be out there doing it. And there would be no self-help industry. There'd be no personal development industry. I mean, everybody would be thrilled. What if you have more than one gift? Can you have more than one gift? Uh, for sure, right? You can absolutely- I think I have all of them. No, I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> uh, well, there is a list in the book and you may have more than one, but ultimately I believe that there is one that even if it's 51-49, there's one that tilts a little bit more in favor than another. Right. You may you may find that like teaching, what I, what I often find is that people get teaching and communicating like those are two that often end up in sort of that 5149 place. And it's like, I don't want to choose, you know, because I can see doing both. But ultimately, one is going to be just slightly stronger or oftentimes much more dominant than the other. But I do believe that there is one that has not happened yet where there is someone who is equally one and the other. I'm sure it exists. I just haven't seen it. No, I could I could definitely see. Yeah, there's just a primary, a secondary, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah, you can absolutely think about it like that. And it doesn't mean that you have to bury that aspect of, of who you are. It just simply means that you have to recognize that it should be incorporated into what you do. Because teaching and healing is a perfect example. And people who are healers are natural teachers for the most part, yeah. right? I mean, when massage therapy or acupuncture or you name it, right? I mean, there's nutrition. I mean, there's, there's a million different healers out there. And often while they're teaching or while they're healing, they're teaching or vice versa, right? But which is it? Do I want to have my hands on someone and be that actual healer? Or do I want to be teaching others how to heal themselves or certify people to teach my process, right? So mm -hmm. that that would be one way to think about it. And yeah, there are definitely people who, oh man, I'm, I'm a teacher and I'm a healer. Okay, so how are you going to pick a vehicle, right? And then how are you going to pick the people that you're most compelled to serve? And again, like I said, discover the one amazing thing you were born to do for now it's not to say that you can't put your hands on people for the next five years and really get that down pat and just really become a master of your craft and then switch over to that secondary gift of teaching, right? And move towards more of a teacher as opposed to a hands-on healer. 
Steve, you have no idea how close to Susie's story this actually is. See, I feel you. You, you, yeah, you I, do. I got you. <laughs> it's all that weed you two have been exactly. smoking. Exactly. So going back to what we were talking about earlier when Susie was saying, you know, sometimes we have these self-imposed limitations or these limitations imposed on us by our parents. Oh, sure. How do we rid ourselves of those? I do think that it's super hard. I mean, our, our relationships with our parents and our relationships with our children I think are the most complicated relationships that we are ever going to have. And reality is we just want to make our parents proud. I think it's just human nature for most people to just want to make their parents proud. And when they want you to be that doctor or that lawyer or marry a Jewish girl instead of Shiksa, you know, right? Like, you know, what do you do? And at some point, yeah have to have that conversation and reality is sometimes they're open to it and sometimes they're not and unfortunately it's I mean my sister doesn't talk to my mom or my dad anymore I mean she completely wrote them out of her life for not those exact reasons but for other reasons that literally just become it was just like one of those uh sort of you know this is this is the straw it doesn't matter what you want it doesn't matter what you want for me i can't do that and if you're insisting that this is something that i do or a path that i go down i have to become my own person and live my own life in my own way and if that doesn't include you then that's an unfortunate byproduct of making that decision But I will say this, which is, you know, compromise is a mother, but it's one of those things where I could not imagine cutting off my parents simply because of a difference of opinion or coming from, I mean, generational differences have existed since the beginning of time. You know, the first caveman who put the wheels on something and started rolling downhill, I'm sure his parents looked at him and go, why don't you just walk? You know, like, what's up with that? But, <laughs> you know, or, or the first one who just you know, made a, a bow and arrow, made a knife and stopped clubbing the, you know, the dinosaurs. He's like, God, these kids, you know, they're just so lazy. What happened to just good old fashioned clubbing, you know? And so it's a tricky subject for me because I've got a, a brother and a sister and neither of whom I talk to and both of whom have made decisions based on various circumstances and and i will say this that at the end of the day i do think that you really only have two choices i mean you can either be a critic or you can be a creator and it's really really easy to be a critic and it's super hard to be a creator and put something forth for the world to judge and i think if you're going to forge your own path at some point you have to become a creator tweet that food heals nation to at steve ulcher at mr bold or at steve ulcher i never can remember yeah one of the two. Okay, yes, we'll thank find you. it. We'll find it. <laughs> All right, and before we wrap up, do you want to tell us about your other book, Internet Profits, The World's Leading Experts Reveal How to Profit Online? Yeah, I mean, that was a book that I, I've been actually online for a long time. And when we launched on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993, that actually became a fully functional e-commerce site in 1995. So I've been online for a long time. And in 98, it became Liquor.com. But what I realized back in 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there, is that even though I've been online for a long time, there are a lot of people who do things very differently than I do. And so let me sit down with some of these folks to pick their brains about what it is that they're doing and how they're doing it. 
And while some of those concepts and strategies don't necessarily apply the the theories around what they shared and how they shared the I mean absolutely still apply to this day but I'm a firm believer that everyone has something to teach right and everyone is an expert in something and that was my homage if you will to others who are doing amazing things in the online space and I actually still refer back to that book and a lot of the things that were said because there were some folks there who um, really were, were kind enough and generous enough to share some strategies they hadn't, hadn't shared publicly before. So it was great to be able to sit down with so many of them. And then we did the Internet Profits Live event, and that's P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, live where we brought in leading internet marketing experts, people like Brendan Burchard and Vishen Lakani and Pat Flynn we mentioned earlier and our side conversation and... Russell Brunson and Lewis Howes and yeah. I mean even people like Jay Conrad Levinson who wrote Guerrilla Marketing I mean, he gave one of his last keynotes at that event and so it's been just a heck of a journey to sit here and really be able to say that I've not only been able to learn from these people but develop personal relationships with them and that's one of the things that I certainly encourage folks to do is to go out and try to develop relationships with people who they admire. Yeah, writing and podcasting presents this great opportunity to connect with people who you may not have ever been able to connect with without that platform. Because without it, you'd be like, hey, can we get a coffee so I can pick your brain? They're like, no, who are you? No. (laughs) (laughs) And it happens, yeah, for sure. But it was once said, if you want to learn about real estate as an example, who would you rather take advice from? Someone who is done real estate development for 20 years and developed $100 million worth of property or someone who has never done anything in real estate at all? And the answer, of course, is, well, the person that's done the development and has been doing this for 20 plus years. And then the caveat being, well, what if that person who hasn't actually done any sort of development has sat down with and learned from and studied under 30 of the world's leading real estate experts? And collectively, they've developed over $5 billion worth of property or whatever that number is. And that's one way that you can actually position yourself in whatever that industry is that's of interest to you. You don't even need to have expertise in it to put yourself at the epicenter of that conversation simply by sitting down with the people who have. Okay, so do you believe at any age we can be whatever we want when we grow up? Absolutely not. No, I mean that. I mean that. I mean that with all sincerity. I don't want to be the bummer here, but I mean, reality is absolutely not. There's no way on God's green earth I'm going to dunk a ball. You know, oh, I mean, I'm 5'8". Gotcha. It ain't going to happen, yeah. right? And the odds are really good that I'm not going to make a billion dollars in my lifetime. And the odds are really good I'm not going to be president. And But the odds are really good that I won't, You'd right? Absolutely so, do a better but job. you also don't have the drive and desire to be president or to dunk a ball. Uh, no, dunk for sure. Are you kidding? A 40, <laughs> judge? You didn't ask him. Right? A 48-year-old, 5-foot-8 guy? Come on, I want to dunk the ball. I can barely touch the net anymore. When I play basketball with my kids, I set it at 8 feet. I look like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out there to him, so it's perfect. <laughs> but the honest answer is no. I mean, I believe that we are each naturally wired to excel in very specific ways. And when we try to do things outside of the scope of what it is that we actually can do, that's when we end up on suicide watch. All right. Well, well that was depressing. <laughs> Jesus. Can we, let's end with the, how about the, yeah, what color is your? The wobble. Yeah, the wobble, right? We wobble. get in with the wobble. Let's exactly. talk about right. dancing. Yeah. <laughs> but no, with all seriousness, I mean, I do believe that all of us have something to contribute and we are the solution to someone else's problem. 
And really, it doesn't take more than just being a couple steps ahead on the path to really be able to have significant impact on those who are a couple steps behind you. You know, one of my favorite expressions is to a second grader, a fifth grader is a god. You know, and it's true, right? That is true. Right? Mm -hmm. It's totally true. So be the fifth grader and no matter what it is that you're doing and just find the second graders who need you. Do you believe in fate? Do I believe in fate? Uh, I would say that I believe in, in not necessarily fate, but I believe that things happen to us for a reason. I don't believe that we are destined for anything in particular because I don't think that a God or a creator or whomever has that much time to figure out right too busy like to figure that all out for all of us but i do believe that things happen to us for a reason and those can be for for bad or for do you believe everything happens for a reason this is the debate we have sometimes well you know it's interesting and the the answer is yes i believe everything happens for a reason and I shared this at the new media summit where literally days before the summit I had been slapped with roughly a $7.2 million personal judgment. Not just like paper, like, hey, we're going to file this against you, but like, we've gone into the court, we have gotten this judgment, and you personally are liable for $7.2 million. And this happened just a couple of days before the New Media Summit, right? I've since worked through that and we've settled it and I paid a lot of money to get that done. And that is now behind me, thankfully. Thank God. But at the same token, it's really clear to me that I was just a dick. I mean, like, excuse my language here, but reality is I deserved what happened. You know, I mean, I don't consider myself to be a bad guy, but I was... I made a really bad decision, and I think that needed to happen. I think I needed to be brought down a couple of notches. Not that I'm not still... Mr. Bold. Mr. Bold, exactly. (laughs) But I needed to experience that. I needed to pay that fine. I needed to have all of my assets. And actually, this was the culmination of this. For the better part of 15 months before that judgment was issued, they had already frozen all of my assets. And put everything into receivership. So you can imagine what it took to do the event. I mean, you were there. Oh my gosh, it was huge. It's no small undertaking. Right. I did all of that with all of my assets being frozen and in receivership. And so what... That's incredible. (laughs) Oh my God. And so, so what did that teach me? Well, it taught me, number one, you can be way more resourceful than you ever thought you could. Right? That's number one. And so... If I can pull off that event with all of my assets and receivership and all of my accounts being frozen, and then days before getting that judgment slapped on me, it just showed that, like, we are not a reflection of our circumstances, that we are not defined by those extenuating issues, right? Those, I can't tell you how. As difficult and as painful as it was, I mean, I remember when, and this was a very long answer to your last question, but I remember when I found out about this because we were in the middle of a huge online product launch. And if you guys are familiar with that whole product launch formula stuff, we were in the middle of that. And the wire that had been sent out from our business account was rejected. 
and I didn't know why. And my guy called me and he said, yeah, you know, we still haven't received the wire. And I was like, why not? And I went to the bank and the bank was like, I, we can't talk about it. You have to talk to this person. And sure enough, that was the beginning of when they had frozen all of the assets. And I literally did not eat for about three days. Oh my God. I mean, my stomach sank and like I knew what had gone on. And I knew that totally embarrassing. I was working with a top industry person on this. I mean, just to put a little perspective on it, during the pre-launch of that launch, we ended up with 80,000 opt-ins wow. for that. That, that's, that was the scale of this thing. And all of my assets get frozen. And not only that, but they froze all of my business accounts because my name was on it. I mean, look, if you can get through that kind of thing, that was a lesson that I needed to learn. So the answer is yes. I believe everything happens for a reason and I will be stronger and I will be better and I will be smarter as a result of all of those things that I went through. But let's think about it this way, which is I didn't lose my house. My kids never missed a meal. The lights never went off. If I had continued down that path of making those sort of decisions that were out of integrity and relying on advice from counsel, who I expected to have my best interest in mind and didn't, and putting all of that trust into one person, imagine what the next thing would have been when I would have lost the house and when I would have lost the car and when the kids wouldn't eat and when we had to basically have all of our stuff confiscated and sold at auction, right? that probably would have happened next. And how amazing that you could take that and reframe it and not be bitter and angry about it and instead go, okay, that happened, that needed to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Add it to your list. Add it to my list. And that's why you host the Reinvention Radio Show. So Yay! tell us about that. Uh, you know, it is exactly that. We, we feature stories of people who have done unbelievable things in their life in their own right and, and reinvented their lives and their own ways. And so every show has a theme, you know, reinventing fear, reinventing sex, reinventing marketing, reinventing, you know, you name it. I think we've covered it over the years. And it's just incredible to hear these stories of people who were at point A in their life and have done whatever they needed to do to get to their current point B. And so we actually, we do it in similar style to how you guys do it. We do it as a more of a morning zoo kind of thing. I've got a couple of co-hosts and we bring people in live. We do it as a live radio show and then we do it as a podcast. So it's a lot of fun and, and just it, it's something that in the book, one of the questions is, you know, does this come as naturally to you as breathing? And for me, radio has always been kind of a holy grail. I mean, it, it's something I could do, you know, even if I didn't get paid a cent to do it. You do good voices. Nah, I try. You and, do. I'm uh, a voice of artist. You do good voices. All right. And reality is, you know, not only would I do it if I didn't get paid a cent to do it, I haven't gotten paid a cent to do it. We haven't <laughs> sold, you know, we haven't sold jack. Like, we don't monetize that thing at all. We do it through other ways. But for me, it's just fun. And that's what I encourage people to think about is what's just fun for you, right? That's definitely one of the ways to figure it out. All right. Where can everyone find you online, stalk you on Instagram, all that good stuff? You know, we've been talking a lot about the book and hopefully we've planted the seed that is like, you know, please go out and grab the book, but let me make it even easier for you because we actually give the entire book away for free. So I would say just start at whatisyourwhat.com. So if that's cool, start there, whatisyourwhat.com and uh, you can grab a free copy of the entire book, not just a chapter. We actually give the whole thing away. 
awesome and join us at new media summit in oh, april sure. yeah new media summit i know i can't wait to see you I there want to dance with steve susie yes. you gotta learn to wobble i will learn it wobble 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 <laughs> <laughs> thank uh, you so much thanks for, for having there. me this is fun all right, Food Heals Nation, thanks for listening to our interview with Steve Ulsher. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to join us at New Media Summit, it's April 12th to 14th, so it's right around the corner. As of yesterday, there were only a few tickets left. I do have a Food Heals discount code for you. All you have to do is go to www.foodhealsnation.com slash Summit. Make sure to use the www or it will not work and use the discount code FOODHEALS. You're going to get $500 off the cost of the conference. I mean, that's a great deal. It's worth it for you if you have a project that you want to promote, if you are starting a podcast or have a podcast, if you have a series, a video series, something like that, if you have a book. If you have something that you want to promote, what's going to happen is this time you're going to get to go on stage and pitch yourself, okay? You're pitching yourself to 40 icons. Icons are people with podcasts. So you're pitching yourself to be on someone's podcast. Not someone. You're hopefully going to get all 40, but you may get 20. They may not all be a fit for you. But you're also going to be pitching yourself to the other attendees in the room who could have opportunities for you. So it's a really great place to network. It's a really great place to have your business seen, to exchange business cards, to find people to collaborate with. So if it sounds like something interesting to you, make sure to go right now, www.foodhealsnation.com slash new media summit and use the discount code foodheals to get $500 off your ticket. There will also be another new media summit in about six months. He's going to do them twice a year. No worries if you can't make it this time. Just get on Steve's mailing list at steveolshirt.com and I'm sure he will keep you up to date. I'm sure we'll be talking about it on the podcast if you want to come. So I hope to see you there. It's going to be a great time. I know that some of you are coming to New Media Summit and are coming to Rise and Bloom, which is April 20th and 21st. Uh, if you want to join us there, you can go to www.foodhealsnation.com slash mastermind. And that's another business opportunity for wellness entrepreneurs. We're going to mastermind our businesses. We're going to come up with marketing and monetization plans so that we can break free of that nine to five and really step fully into what it is we want to create, who we want to reach, build our tribe, all of that good stuff. So I hope you will join me. Uh, Susie will be there. Leslie Durso will be there. We're all going to be sharing our expertise, eating lots of delicious vegan food. So that's day one. Day two is all about networking. So we'll be going Going, getting glammed up, putting on our high heels and fancy dresses and going to the plant-powered event of the year, the Humane Society Gala. It is so much fun. I go every year. I have deep conversations with celebrities and influencers. I get connections I never could have made without going to this event. And it's fun. It's a great place to network your business, to meet people, to eat good food, drink good wine. It's just such a fabulous event. It's on the back lot of Paramount Pictures, which if you've ever been there, it's so fun. It's so beautiful. It's like the sun is setting over the New York set of the back lot. It's it's incredible. So I hope you guys will join me there. You're welcome to come to both events. You know, we've got Italy too. We've got three amazing events for you. We truly hope to see you at one or all. You can come to all three. Susie and I will both be at all three. So come on down. Actually, Susie won't be at New Media Summit, but she will be at 
Rise and Bloom, our mastermind, and she will be in Italy. All right. See you next time. Food Heals Nation. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben & Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.